This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend warriors of Michigan politics and government. You may remember last week, one of the questions we launched was, would Governor Whitmer sign bipartisan legislation approved the week before to prohibit the state from importing COVID-19 into the state's nursing homes? And would she release the data showing deaths by facility and date? as well as the dates when patients who tested positive for COVID-19 were moved into nursing home and assisted living facilities. And the answer is, as you might imagine, as you may already know, the governor vetoed that legislation two weeks ago. It had been approved unanimously by the House and Senate. And the... It wasn't unanimous, actually. It was very close to a heavy bipartisan vote in favor. Uh, She vetoed other bills the week before that that had passed unanimously. And yet the legislature has not moved to override her veto, and they will not be able to do it. So that's the end of that story. But look, everybody knows by now, COVID-19 aside, the big story this week was the Tuesday election August 4th, it saw records set for voter turnout at an August primary, as well as the number of absentee ballots ever cast in an election. Michigan Information and Research Service newsletter, MERS, as it's called, reported that more than two and a half million people voted Tuesday, and that broke the record that had been set just two years ago in the 2018 August primary, which was 2.2 million. So the record was broken by 300,000 votes at least, according to figures shared by the Secretary of State. And out of the 2.5 million, 1.6 million ballots that arrived via the mail or delivered to drop boxes or clerks this year, was more than the 1.3 million absentees that occurred during the 2016 presidential election. And by the way, because of the passage of Proposal 3 in 2018, which allows what is called same-day registration or election day registration, 3,641 people showed up at the polls on Tuesday, August 4th, and said, even if we're not registered to vote, which we are not, please register us right now, and we want to vote today. And they were allowed to, according to law. But more than 10,000 ballots received by various clerks around the state were rejected. And the reasons why... We're not immediately clear, but one of the reasons obviously could have been a ballot postmark prior to the election day, but received after 8 p.m. on election day 
could not be legally counted. So we are arriving at a point where, besides advocating for an early start for processing absentee ballots, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson said she's requested $15 million in federal assistance through Michigan's congressional delegation to fund more people, machines, and education ahead of the general election this coming November. She also called on the U.S. Postal Service to be fully funded, and she'd like to make it a requirement for clerks to do some follow-up work when a voter's signature on a ballot doesn't match the one on file to give those voters a chance to cure their signature and get their vote counted. Now, we come to the big question of the day, uh, or I should say result announcement of the day, and that is on our fearless forecast last week, you may remember, uh, just as we did uh, two years ago, we predicted winners in key races in the August 4th primary election all around the state. Those predictions focused on Democratic and Republican contests for the State House of Representatives and Congress and for major countywide offices in the three biggest counties in Michigan, which are Macomb, Oakland, and Wayne. No, we didn't make predictions in all 14 U.S. House of Representative districts or the 110 state house representative districts because either one party or the other is so dominant that the November general election result is foreordained and it doesn't really matter who won the primary or if they won uncontested or by a huge margin, they're going to win in November. So what we concentrated on were districts where the result in the primary was questionable. Who would win? Those are the ones we focused on. And then how would that likely play out in November in some cases? Not all of them. In some cases, in fact, most cases, whoever won their party primary, whether it was Democratic or Republican, depending on the district where it was located, those people are automatically going to be elected in November. The minority party does not have enough strength to overcome it. Now, remember, these were not endorsements we were making, and we were not trying to estimate who we thought was the best candidate in each race, in each district, to serve beginning in January of next year. It was simply a prognostication of who is likely to win. So we are going to announce the results. And I got to say, overall, we did really pretty well. We did 5% better than we did two years ago, 75% overall accuracy. And this is for 48 different contests, uh, 208 candidates altogether in those 48 contests. Uh, We got eight out of 11 right on the three major county, countywide elected offices we made predictions on. And we were right in 28 out of 37 state house races. And I'm just going to go down the list. 
and tell you what we got right and what we got wrong. In the 3rd Congressional District, that's West Michigan, we predicted Peter Meyer would win the Republican nomination for Congress to succeed Justin Amash on the Republican side, and he won. Uh, We also predicted that of the four Republicans running in the 8th Congressional District for the nomination to oppose incumbent Democrat Alyssa Slotkin, Paul Young would win, and he did. We also predicted in the 11th District, where four candidates were running for the right to oppose incumbent Democrat Haley Stevens in November. These are four Republicans running. On Tuesday, August 4th, we picked Eric Ashaki to win, and he did. And in the 13th Congressional District, that is Detroit and some suburban Western Wind County cities and other municipalities, we picked to win the Democratic primary the incumbent Democrat Rashida Tlaib, and she did win pretty easily two to one over her challenger, Brenda Jones. Now, in the countywide races, uh, we picked Kim Worthy, the Democratic incumbent prosecuting attorney in Wayne County, to win her Democratic Party nomination. I'll be back with more. In a minute, because believe it or not, we've already run out of time and we barely started the list. So I'm going to have to talk fast in the next segment. Stay tuned. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back. And let me mention one congressional district we made a prediction on, which we got wrong in the 10th congressional district, which is northern Macomb County and most of the thumb of Michigan. We picked State Representative Shane Hernandez to win it. He's running to succeed Paul Mitchell, the incumbent who hung it up after only two terms, but Shane Hernandez was upset by newcomer Lisa McLean. She won it, so we got that one wrong. We got four out of our five congressional picks right. Now, continuing on with countywide races, we picked Mary Chernowski to win the Democratic nomination and Peter Lucido win the Republican nomination for Macomb County Prosecutor. We were right on that. We picked Anthony Forlini to win the Republican nomination to run against the incumbent Democrat Fred Miller in November. We were right about that. We got a couple wrong, and they're pretty big, and we went out on a limb on one of them for sure uh, against all odds, and we proved to be totally wrong. Oakland County Executive Andy Meisner Uh, the incumbent treasurer, but he was giving that up to run to succeed uh, Brooks Patterson for a full term as an elected official, but he had to beat Dave Calder, the appointed incumbent in the Democratic primary on Tuesday, and he did not. We picked Meisner to win, but Dave Calder fended him off by about eight points. 
Oakland County prosecutor. This is the one where we really blew it, and we probably should have known because everybody lined up behind the challenger, Karen McDonald, uh, to run against the incumbent Democrat, Jessica Cooper. But we picked Cooper, but McDonald easily won. So let's go to the state house. I just got to tell you, there are uh, 37 contests here. I'm never going to be able to get through them all, but we got them all right. And I'm going to list them off here. Joe Tate in Detroit, 2nd District. Sri Tanadar, Detroit in the 3rd District. Abraham Ayash, Hamtramck in the 4th District. This is down in southeast Michigan. Uh, these are all Democratic primaries. 5th uh, District. Cynthia Johnson, the incumbent, Helena Scott or Helena Scott in the 7th District. Uh, We picked her to win. We picked all these people to win, and they won. 8th District, Stephanie Young, Democrat, Detroit, won. Karen Whitsett, Democratic, won. We picked her. 10th District, Mary Cavanaugh in Redford. We picked her. She won. 13th, Tulio Liberati in Allen Park. We picked him to win. He won. Here's one we got wrong. In the 19th district, we picked Penny Kreider. She lost by only 3% to Martha Tashnik for the Republican nomination in an open seat. That's going to be key to watch in November. 21st district, uh, this is the Canton area. We picked Ranjeev Puri, uh, Democrat. He won. 22nd, Richard Steenland in the Roseville-Fraser area. We picked him. He won. We got this one wrong coming up on the 27th district Democratic primary. Uh, We picked Kevin Kresh, but he finished second. And so we were wrong on that one. 37th, Samantha Stecklaw. This is in the Farmington Hills area. We picked her to win. She won. 38th district was really the only one where we picked uh, winners on both sides, the Republican and the Democratic side. Republican Chase Turner, Democrat Kelly Breen, we picked them both. They both won. Uh, we were wrong in the 41st. We picked Evan Agnello to win. He lost the Republican nomination. 45th, we picked uh, Brendan Johnson to win the Democratic primary. He lost uh, to Barbara Aness. Uh, 47th District, Livingston County, we picked Bob Bazat to win. He won. 55th District, Felicia Brabeck uh, in the Ann Arbor area. We picked her to win the Democratic primary. She won. 56th District, T.C. Clements down in Monroe County area. Uh, we picked him to win the Republican nomination. He won. 58th, Andrew Fink. Uh, Hillsdale Branch Counties, we picked him to win. He won 59th District. We blew this one. This was really almost our worst loss. We picked Alan Baylog, who was the early favorite, but he finished third. He didn't even come in runner-up. The winner was uh, Steve uh, Cavell, I think, excuse me, Steve Cara of Three Rivers. He won 60th. We picked Stephanie Moore to win the Democratic primary. She was edged out by Julie Rogers, a fellow county commissioner, by only 3%. We were wrong on that one. Then we picked Bronwyn Haltom to win the 61st Republican primary. She won. We picked Dave Morgan in the 62nd Republican. He won. 
We picked Patrick Outman in the 70th Republican. He won. We picked Gina Johnson in the 71st District Republican. She won. We picked Brian Posthumus to win the 73rd Republican. He won. We picked Pauline Wenzel, the incumbent, to fend off a challenger in the 79th. She won. We picked Andrew Beeler in the 83rd District. Uh, open seat, Republican. He won. We picked in the 90th District, Bradley Slaw, incumbent Republican to fend off a challenger. He won. In the 95th District, which is open, we were wrong on this one. We picked Clint Bryant, but Amos O'Neill won the Democratic primary, and he will be the next state representative from the 95th. 100th District, we picked incumbent Scott Van Single to fend off an in a challenger. Uh, he won. 104th, we picked uh, Heather Cerrone to pull an upset over John Roth for the Republican nomination in the Traverse City area. We were wrong on that one. Roth won. He will face a Democrat for the open seat in November. 105th district, just north of there, uh, we were wrong on this one. We picked Tony Cutler uh, and uh, Ken Borton won the Republican uh, nomination in that district. This is for the Republican nomination in an open seat, which is uh, pretty heavily Republican. 107th district, which is the seat of the term-limited Speaker of the House, Lee Chatfield, uh, we correctly picked John DeMoss to win the Republican nomination, and he did, in fact, win. I should also mention on Tuesday that 95% of all local tax proposals, uh, at least uh, one, $1.3 billion were at stake. This is according to MERS newsletter, Michigan Information Research Service. So again, we had uh, 172 candidates in 37 House districts, and we had 36 candidates in 11 contests for Congress or for major countywide positions in the three biggest counties in the state. And we got eight out of the 11. So we did pretty well. We weren't perfect, but we're getting better. I mean, two years from now, we got to be at least 80%, right? Now, I'm going to be back in a minute, and we're going to take a look at these results on Tuesday from the perspective of a couple of other people who know a lot about Michigan politics. So stay tuned. I think you're going to like this. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned, and we are very fortunate to have with us uh, Mackenzie Frost, who is a political reporter with the Sinclair uh, Broadcasting Group uh, operating out of principally, I think, Kalamazoo. And uh, she's not just a political reporter. She is a tremendous political reporter, so good that she's been stolen away from us by WBFF (laughs) in Baltimore, Maryland. And I think she's leaving us like this week or next week. We cannot afford to lose this kind of talent in Michigan. But I'm uh, very lucky to have you, Mackenzie Frost, on the show as you exit Michigan, at least temporarily. 
Yeah, thanks, Phil. I'm excited. Bittersweet, you know, Michigan's home for me, and it's been a wonderful two years jam-packed with every news story we could possibly have. That's unbelievable. And you, I think, were a graduate of uh, Dearborn Edsel Ford High School. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, class of 2011. And then you were a Northern Michigan University Wildcat in the UP, right. right? Wow. Yeah. So this is a big move for you to the East Coast. But let me just ask you, what was your main takeaway from Tuesday, looking at the whole state? And we'll get into the Kalamazoo, Southwest Michigan area in a minute. Overall, we just we saw an, a tremendous amount of voter turnout. We saw people show show up to the polls, but we also, I mean, this absentee ballot turnout was just extraordinary, shattering records. Um, you know, more than 1.6 million people casting their ballots um, by mail, and that just goes to show what could be a you know a tremendous amount of voter turnout for November. And uh, an election, unlike one we've ever seen before, with more people deciding early and deciding at home when they cast their ballots. And I also think we had the results sooner than what some people were predicting, um, and hopefully that remains the case in November. We don't want to be a state where everyone is watching. The presidential race um, has yet to be called, and we're waiting on results. Michigan. Yeah, we don't want hanging chads in November here in Michigan, right, with the rest of the nation looking at us. Well, do you think we're headed for trouble if we don't make some adjustments in the law in the next three months to accommodate this huge surge of voters in November? I don't know. I mean, I think that that's what the Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, has been saying, and that's what she is the, the, one of the main reasons why she keeps pushing for some of this legislation and lawmakers in Lansing to, to act. Um, and whether or not that happens, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Um, I think if we wait and see, the results might be we act, maybe we acted too late. If nothing does change and we don't see results, um, you know, on time per se, whatever on time means, But if we continue to see absentee ballot turnout, absentee voting turnout the way we saw, I mean, there could be one and a half, two times the amount of people who show up and vote in November. I mean, August was a primary, and in some places, not very many elections uh, and races on the ballot. And to see that amount of participation in an election like that does paint an interesting picture in three months. Yeah, in in southwest Michigan in the Kalamazoo area and Environs, um, there were some really fascinating races and some upsets in one case I'll mention and some very close calls by the people who won the primaries. For instance, in the 6th Congressional District, uh, John Hoadley, an incumbent term-limited state representative running for the Democratic nomination for Congress to oppose Fred Upton, the longtime Republican incumbent, I mean, he was thought to be cruising through a primary against a single opponent uh, named Jen Richardson, who I don't think had ever run for anything before, and he barely won. Uh, yeah. And what's going on down there? It is. In, I mean, that's so fascinating. If you take a look at all the races across the state, it, outside of this specific race, the name recognition and money pretty much resulted in a win. But that definitely wasn't necessarily the case here. I mean, you know, if you look at the fundraising, Hoadley outspent Jen Richardson 18 to 1 in his primary race. And he had all of the big-name endorsers from the Democratic Party behind him. 
And she was coming in as pretty much a no-name political outsider. And it was very late into the night when it was neck and neck. And it came down to just, you know, a last dump of what we can assume to be his absentee ballots coming in that pushed him over the top. It almost makes you think that, you know, he saw this primary as an easy win and was gearing up and kind of running a a general election maybe a few months early. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, kind of an embarrassing story about John Hoadley, some things he wrote, I guess, when he was back in college, Mm -hmm. uh, came out in a story. And uh, Jen Richardson is saying right now that she is withholding her endorsement of Hoadley as the Democratic nominee until he gives more satisfactory answers to what he supposedly wrote way back then. I mean, he yeah. looks to me like he's coming out of the primary, not with a head of steam, but as a limping, wounded uh, nominee candidate against uh, a longtime entrenched Republican incumbent. Yeah, it definitely, I don't think, is the momentum anybody wants coming out of a primary leading into a race that we can assume will be, you know, shaping up to be a pretty good one in November. Um, to see the story coming out, I'm not really sure what kind of answers or response Richardson is looking for from Hoadley at this point. Um, but to withhold the endorsement from him with three months to go is interesting. And I wonder how many voters she'll hold back from, therefore, going and supporting Hoadley. Um, we also have to keep in mind, too, that the, the timeline of this general election, I feel like, is going to be compressed with, COVID-19, and no reason absentee voting in Michigan. You know, we have a general election that, yes, is three months away, but people are going to start getting some absentee ballots way sooner than they would normally be showing up to the polls. So the timeline for campaigns themselves will have to be compressed, and it's almost like, you know, you got to hurry up and lock up your support way sooner than people would normally be doing that. Yeah. You had a couple of state house races down there. I I don't know whether you were able to concentrate on them, but in the 60th district, this is uh, an open seat in Kalamazoo. You had a couple of county commissioners running for the Democratic nomination against each other. Uh, I think it was uh, Julie Rogers and Stephanie Moore. Yeah. I think Rogers won narrowly by about 3%, and this is a Democratic seat. So what do you think is going on there? You know, to be honest with you, I don't pay too much attention to the Kalamazoo local politics like that. Um, but I know that that was a race that kind of came as a bit of a surprise to some of my other colleagues who were watching that race. Um, and so to think that, yes, you know, whoever wins this will likely win in in November kind of paints an interesting picture, I suppose. But I don't have too much insight into that race, to be honest. Yeah, the 59th district, which is south of you, probably got even less focus on that. A Republican primary and a Republican district open seat. Uh, the favorite was a guy named Alan Balog, who had been uh, prominent on the county board of commissioners. But he was upset by uh, a young candidate named Steve Kara, I think, out of Three Rivers. That was a big shocker, too. You know, these surprise races like this shows that nothing can be taken for granted by any candidate in any race. And I think that the absentee ballot and people voting by mail and voting from home 
is really a game changer that I don't necessarily know if we've ever seen before in Michigan. I think that what we elections traditionally have been like might be upended in a few months. And I think that, no, that Tuesday was perhaps a precursor for an interesting, but not only interesting, could be a long-term election changing November, uh, November election. Right. Now, you're going to Maryland. I I bet you started to beef up on your political history in Maryland, right? A little bit. But, you know, between between our primary and wrapping up some projects and trying to find an apartment and moving in a pandemic, not as much as I probably should have. <laughs> well, you got you got an interesting governor, Larry Hogan, a moderate yeah. Republican who has taken some shots at uh, Donald Trump. So, look. Best of luck to you, Mackenzie Frost, as you leave Michigan. We hope you come back uh, and get a perch back in the uh, political press corps here in Michigan. We need your talent, Mackenzie Frost. Thank (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll be back with a little bit more in a minute. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned, and we have, once again, Mark Grebner, who is chief cook and bottle washer at Practical Political Consulting in Lansing. He's also an elected Democratic Ingham County commissioner. Mark Grebner, welcome back to The Political Insider. Thanks for having me. I'm surprised you're willing to let me on the show again. Why wouldn't we have you back? I mean, you're always good for sage observations, and I know you're going to give us some now. So what were the biggest stories coming out of Tuesday, August 4th primary? Well, for me, the biggest one was how wrong I was about the turnout. The the turnout on Tuesday was almost entirely absentee. I mean, like 75% or 70% absentee. And what I figured was that... Actually, it was only like two-thirds, I think, but it's more like 65% absentee, which was another sign of how wrong I was. Well, I figured that at the end, we would only see about 100,000 ballots come back, and that there'd be about seven or 800,000 that people simply didn't cast, because I thought that the reason people weren't returning their ballots was that they just had nothing to vote on. But what we actually found was that in the last three days, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, 350,000 or almost 400,000 ballots came back in those days, completely out of the normal pattern. And that tells me that people really had this pent-up desire to vote. And then on Election Day, I figured there would only be a few hundred thousand people to vote, but instead we had close to 800,000, maybe over 800,000 people show up on Election Day, even though they had been discouraged from doing it by COVID-19, even though there was wide-open absentee voting, even though every single person in the state had been mailed an absentee ballot application. And yet 800,000 people showed up to vote in an election that in most places in the state there was no reason to vote. There was no real compelling race on the ballot. It just tells me that that people had just a big pent-up desire to vote almost regardless of of needing an attraction. Yeah, I mean, it's staggering, really. I mean, two years ago, you had a Republican primary for governor, Democratic primary for governor. Uh, You had a Republican primary for U.S. Senate, and the turnout was huge. 
and it set a record uh, for August, I think, at that time. And this year, as you say, there was nothing at the top of the ballot. There was no contest, Republican or Democrat, for any big-ticket statewide office. And yet, the record was smashed this year by this turnout, 2.5 million. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, it, there, there, it's not just that there was nothing big at the top of the ticket. That's, that's, that's one important part of it. But in many places in the state, uh, say a Democrat living in some small town outstate, he might very well have found that there was no race on the ballot at all for him to vote in. There was no Senate primary, congressional primary, state rep primary, township board primary, or county primary that he could vote in. I mean, so he just had unopposed candidates and maybe a millage or two to vote in, maybe a renewal of a fire millage or something. And, and in spite of that, several hundred thousand people voted ballots that they might just as well have save the postage but they, they could not be stopped they there's an enthusiasm in america today or at least in michigan for getting that ballot in yeah you also had some thoughts going into the election on tuesday about the u.s senate race even though gary peters the democratic incumbent was unopposed and so was john james the republican aspirant uh did not have any competition as to which one would come out with the most votes on election day, each one unopposed. How did that turn out? Um, as I suspected, uh, Peters ended up with about a hundred thousand more votes than than uh, James. It's not really important because a person would vote for Peters who just happened to be voting in the Democratic primary, and there was nobody to vote for or against. So you would just cast a vote for Peters, kind of to fill in the blank, and similarly for James on the Republican side. What was important about them is simply that there were a rough count of how many Democrats and how many Republicans showed up at the polls. And what we saw was that there were about 100,000 more Democrats who, who appeared at this election than Republicans, um, which is consistent with what we've been seeing in, in elections around the state. They're just a, this is a slightly Democratic year. Well, based on what you saw Tuesday, what do you project in November in terms of turnout? You want to make any early predictions as to what the turnout might be in November total and maybe percentage absentee? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be wrong again. I've been saying even before COVID-19, I've been saying we expect 6 million votes. Now, normally we have wow. 4.8 to 5 or 5.2 million in a presidential election. I expect we're going to have 6 million votes this November, and and that's consistent with some other people's guesses. But I'm going to guess that it's going to be two-thirds absentee, in other words, about 4 million absentee ballots. That's not consistent with uh, the Secretary of State's estimate, which is more like 3 million. Um, but, but I'm kind of guessing that, you know, we're going to see the whole, the whole 2 million we saw in the primary who applied for absentee ballots. And I'm guessing we're going to see two million more, but I'm probably wrong about that. They're probably right. Well, I wouldn't say that. Uh, you've been right too many times before for your predictions to be dismissed. Let me ask you: since so many more people actually showed up in person on the polls on Tuesday, August fourth, to vote than anybody thought was going to happen, do you think the same thing then may happen in November? If you're saying six million total. Four million absentee. You're saying two million people will probably show up at the polls, coronavirus or no coronavirus. That's right. And I expect that we'll have a big mess 
uh, in some places. The, the biggest mess won't be at the precincts. It'll be maybe 100,000 people who show up on Election Day who are not on the, ro- on the voter rolls at their current address. Many of them are sort of registered, but, but they've moved since then. So they'll go to City Hall or Township Hall on Election Day and, and register and request a ballot and receive the ballot and cast the ballot, return the ballot, all in one trip. So they'll be there for maybe a half an hour plus the time they spend in line just going through the paperwork of registering, applying for a ballot, receiving the ballot, and voting it. Well, in, in a small township, I mean, if you're talking about the city of Cadillac, if 75 people show up and do that, it's just not a big deal. But if 20,000 people try to do that in Detroit, and they try to do it at City Hall plus one or two scattered sites, I don't know how you run 10,000 people through Detroit City Hall in, in a you know, 10 or 12 or 14-hour day. I don't know in East Lansing how you move 5,000 students through East Lansing City Hall, maybe plus one other site. It's just getting 5,000 people through a line and to tables and giving them forms and pens and social distancing and all that. I think we're going to have a big mess on Election Day, but it'll be mainly in large jurisdictions and mainly at the city and township halls. I think on Election Day at the polls, because so many people will have voted absentee already, the polls, just like in the primary, will will work okay, I think. Well, now, Friday, supposedly Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky met with Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who has pleaded with the legislature to come up with some help for her. And uh, how do you think uh, that's going to work out? Do you think that Shirky and or the Republican-controlled legislature might be able to enact something quickly that Gretchen Whitmer could sign that would be in place for November that will help alleviate this looming disaster that you've described? Well, I think that they'll, I, yes, the answer is they, can, they will adopt something, but they won't do most of what needs to be done. Most of what needs to be done is, is to make it easy to vote on Election Day if you're not properly registered. In other words, you've moved, say, a year ago, and you never updated your driver's license, and now you're just playing in the wrong township. Um, So fixing that would be easy if the legislature wanted to, but it doesn't want to. What they are are going to do, I'll bet, is, is the very small steps of allowing clerks to start preparing the absentee ballots for counting earlier than they are now permitted to start. Uh, if Detroit has, well, Detroit had 100,000 absentee ballots uh, on Tuesday, and counting 100,000 absentee ballots in one day, of course, isn't a one-day activity, and, and so it finally took until Thursday to count. Uh, you know, if, if Detroit doesn't have 100,000 absentee ballots but has 200,000, which is pretty likely, it's going to be a big mess. And, and the legislature is going to take half steps to, to make that a little bit less of a mess, but they're not going to adopt the substantive changes and provide more money that would really make voting easy. Okay, well, we could talk about this even more, particularly same-day registration. We didn't even have time to really get to people who've never been registered before. But I want to thank Mark Grebner, who's done an outstanding job again of giving us an overview on voting patterns in Michigan past present and future as soon as this november thank you mark rebner thank you for having me on
We'll be back next week with still more exciting political news. Don't miss it.